Well, if you've been following my career, you know that I, I cover a lot of natural history work and uh, Eden Untamed Planet premieres in India on Sony BBC Earth from the 17th. This is every Monday to Friday, 9 p.m. Indian Standard Time. We're very proud, proud to have uh, executive producer of BBC Studios at the National uh, Natural History Unit, Mark Brownlow. He's a multiple BAFTA and Emmy Award winning executive producer with over well, almost three decades of experience across a broad range of wildlife TV documentaries. Nice to meet you. I hope your family and you are safe and healthy considering there's a new new virus variant in town, Mark. Gosh. Uh, well, thank you, Rishi. Delighted to be on your show. Uh, yes, Omicron is, of course, uh, testing us all. Um, and, and all the kind of personal tragedies aside, making a wildlife series in, in, a COVID, uh, in COVID times is, or uh, I could say, it's even tougher. Uh, uh, um, just getting the teams on location has been a huge challenge. Uh, and um, thanks to everyone's massive efforts, we've managed to deliver a series which I think is absolutely groundbreaking. I can't wait to uh, run through it from beginning to end. But yes, I know what you're talking about. I was speaking to John Downer and he was describing to me how during the peak of COVID times, he got Sir Attenborough to do a voiceover and, you know, getting the wiring in through, the microphone in through, him sitting in a garden with a cabin. It sounded very, very complicated. Uh, But then that's life. You've you've got to continue. I'm excited because uh, this series talks about Edens. When Adam and Eve came onto this planet, the Garden of Eden was unspoiled and us humans have gone and spoiled it. So I'd like you to give a preview and maybe then we can go episode by episode and have a few lines from you. But right at the top, what is Eden Untamed Planet all about, uh, Mark? As the name suggests, Eden Untamed Planet is a celebration of six remarkable ecosystems that have remained almost unchanged since the dawn of civilization, uh, where life still exists as nature intended. And um, they've, been, they've been in part protected uh, uh, from humankind by the extreme isolation, remoteness, and by their extreme in- environments. And so for the first time in this series, we've immersed a, a camera crew within our six uh, um, unique habitats for over a year, where we've been able to unlock the, the the story behind each of their remarkable riches we meet incredible characters along the way uh we gain an understanding of of, of the interdependencies of, of life within and we reveal a secret to why each of these evens are so remarkably rich and diverse now we're not we're not this is a contemporary series so we're not pretending this is for instance, one of our audience is born here. We're not pretending that this is absolutely untouched. We will contemporize our stories and, and, and reveal through emotionally charged, character-driven stories that these Edens are today uh, um, having to cope with, with kind of the realities of the modern world. However, there's still plenty uh, to celebrate and marvel at. And more than anything, I'm, I'm particularly proud of, of the new behaviours uh, that we've managed to capture and um, thanks to working in these COVID times with uh, remote teams, with remote local talent, we've been able over a year's worth of filming to document these unique uh, uh, behaviours and whilst keeping our carbon footprint down. So things like in, in the Chanted Islands of Galapagos, we filmed a, a heart-in-the-mouth drama of... Mother sea lions, they, they, they have a challenge. They, because the surrounding ocean is, is, is reasonably uh, poor in, in, in riches compared to where they came from in California uh, uh, millions of years ago, they raised two pups 
at once at different, they're, they're slightly different ages, uh, but it means they have to use all their cunning intelligence to find enough food in order to produce enough milk to supply uh, um, enough nourishment to, to the two pups. So the mums, they're kind of a heroic uh, uh, um, super group of mums who go out and uh, to this secret cove where they round up the, these, these shoals of jackfish and drive them onto the beach. It's, it's, it's incredibly exciting. And at the end of the Galapagos episode, we form an absolutely unique uh, um, seri- uh, uh, sequence where um, as those pups grow up, that there's a pivotal moment in their life when they have to take to the ocean for the first time. For the first few years, they remain in nursery pools, protected uh, uh, um, against the, the ocean elements. But at two years old, they begin to foray out into the open ocean. There's good reason why they've held back. Galapagos is the sharkiest water. They, they, they have the sharkiest waters on Earth. And we filmed an extraordinary new sequence of um, the moment Galapagos sharks, these are big sharks, 10-foot sharks, come in and try and target these naive uh, uh, newborn sea lions, uh, pups. And heroically, the, um, the bull sea lion, which is this, this big grown-up adult male, will drive the sharks away. So, so we have throughout the series of six, we have an episode on the Galapagos. We've got the, um, the rainforest island of Borneo, which is possibly the, the richest, most biodiverse island of all, home to orangutans, hornbills. We film World First there with hornbills snatching bats out of the sky. We've also uh, made a, um, an extraordinary episode on the fabled grasslands uh, of, of Lawangwa in within East Africa's Great Rift Valley. And there uh, we tell in the seasonal narrative the story of uh, um, leopards that uh, um, survive by, by their cunning, using dried out riverbeds to ambush their prey. Uh, we film for the first time uh, hippos at night uh, with, with special um, thermal imaging cameras uh, as they, and this is sort of counter to what a lot of us kind of are, uh, are imagine, hippos are incredibly nimble on their feet. They may weigh a couple of tons, but they, they're quite dainty on their, on their feet. And, and they go out at night when it's a bit cooler. The reason why they're in water is they need the water to cool off during the day under the Af- hot African sun. But at night, when it's a bit cooler, they venture off to, to, to browse. And, and we have this wonderful new groundbreaking sequence filmed with thermal imaging cameras when we reveal them out foraging at, at night. But as I say, th- this series is filled with world firsts. We also have um, a, a, an episode dedicated to the oldest and most diverse desert on the planet, the Namib in Africa's, in, in Southwest Africa. And um, we film uh, um, desert lions. There are not many left of these, of these heroic lions as they um, battle to survive the elements. They, the, these lions actually use the, um, the cover of the afternoon winds that whip up the sand as a way to creep up on, on the oryx, which are these highly specialised desert antelope. Uh, that enable them to ambush them. And we've, we've captured that. Um, and the Namib is full of weird and wonderful little creatures, but we, uh, um, all these bizarre, like, like the rain frog. You wouldn't think a rain frog lives in a desert, but this frog um, 
survives by staying underground during the day, but at night it, it, it comes out when, when hungry. It may stay buried for two weeks, but when hunger drives it, it will then come out at night and forage for uh, uh, um, bugs. And, and as, as I kind of alluded to earlier, the secret to each of these Edens is that um, they all have a unique reason why they're so rich. And, and in the Narmid, the reason why it sustains so much life is it has these secret uh, supplies of water. So for the, for the desert frog, it gains its moisture from sea fog that sweeps in off the Atlantic Ocean and, and condenses uh, at night on, on the vegetation and, and the ground. And that's how it gains its moisture. So just think of some in an amphibian, it's the last place you'd expect them to survive in a desert, but thanks to this secret water supply of this desert fog. And also in the Namib, uh, another uh, a secret supply of water in the desert are these sub-aquifers. So there may be very little surface moisture, but there are these reserves of, of groundwater and, and the Arna trees, uh, which are these sort of uh, um, desert uh, um desert uh, trees with, 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 very, with pods. They produce these pods which are, which are rich in nutrients. They, their roots can tap down into, into the, these underground reservoirs. And, the, and so when they're in fruit, uh, um, they, they can sustain even desert elephants. And again, think about desert elephants. These de elephants are the thirstiest creatures on the planet. So you, again, the last place you'd expect them to find a, 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 an elephant in the desert. But thanks to their ability to, to find uh, um, these, these desert pods, plus uh, dig up ground, dig up uh, dried out riverbeds for water, enables them to make it in a desert. So I think that's exciting about this series is that um, we're telling surprising, unexpected new stories. We also have an episode on Alaskans, um, Southeast Archipelago, the Alexander Archipelago, and that's a bit, that's a remarkable film in, in terms of how can this uh, uh, temp temperate forest support so much life uh, um, from grizzly bears to, to bald eagles. So some of the greatest spectacles and concentrations of life in, in North America exist in this really far north frozen land. And again, the reason why is it has a secret. It has a salmon run. And when the salmon run each spring, summer, all the nutrients from the ocean pour into the river systems. And there is, it's thanks to the salmon that, that, that these forests they, uh, are, are so rich. They even have fish trees. So you get these extra tall trees thanks to the nutrients from the decaying salmon. Uh, um, as the bears catch the salmon, there's so many of them that they discard their remains within the forest. And those decaying, uh, those, those carcasses of, of, of the salmon, the nutrients fertilize uh, the forest. And again, the riches, riches and abundance of life in, in these forests is, is thanks to, to, to the, the salmon run. I, have, I, I also want to, uh, um, because of course we have, uh, um, which one have I not spoken? Yeah, Patagonia. Each Eden is, is, is centered in a different habitats. So we have our desert film in the Nama, we have our grasslands film in, in, in Loangwa in Africa's um, Great River Valley. We have our temperate forest film in, in Alaska, but we also have um, our mountainous realm um, in, in Patagonia. Patagonia, as, you, as you're probably well aware, it's this magical uh, mountainous uh, realm at the tip of South America. And uh, 
it's 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 based around the Andes and uh, and the, the precipitous peaks. We go on a journey from the top of the precipitous peak all the way down to 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 the coast, and we reveal the remarkable life that, that survives in in this sort of frozen kingdom from um, flamingos. You wouldn't expect to find flamingos. Uh, in 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 this sort of frozen mountainous landscape, and yet these flamingos uh, um, exploit the um, the shrimp that 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 proliferate in the in the high plateaus. Um, but there's a catch because it gets so cold, uh, the 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 um, their lakes freeze over at night, particularly as you go into winter. And and we film the heart and the mouth sequence with. Um, Young flamingos, they're, they're born in these high altitude legs, but by, by the start of winter, they need to leave because it really is getting cold. And it's their struggle as these ice uh, um, balls of ice get caught in their ankles overnight, they have to somehow shake them off in order to fly and escape. And so that, that, that's a very dramatic sequence. We've also filmed pumas, a groundbreaking new story of pumas at night, again, using thermal imaging cameras. As on the coast, this is really unexpected. They actually feed on penguins. And, and it, it is a remarkable sequence because the penguins can't see the pumas at night, but the pumas have got excellent night vision. So you see the pumas coming into the colonies at night, picking off uh, um, penguins. All our stories kind of celebrate the, the remoteness and, 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 and the kind of the rugged beauty of, 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 of these Edens. But at the same time, as a, 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 we contextualize it in, in the modern world. A lot of the pumas today are being moved off ranches uh, um, due to, to the, their natural habitat, due to ranching. So um, that's why they only through their ingenuity and their adaptability are they surviving by, this in this case, targeting um, penguin colonies. I want to come to Borneo, which is episode one. You spoke briefly about Borneo. But what's special to me about this series is that you talk about species which are endemic, which are particular to that region. And, you know, in India too, over the sands of time, we've been nature worshippers. Borneo is regarded as a sacred forest. There is a bear that is endemic to the Bornean forest. It's a little frail looking creature because it doesn't find enough nutrients compared to regular bears who are huge and large. Uh, you've covered that. And you've also covered plant species, which I find fascinating. I mean, it's almost like a carnivorous plant, which, uh, you know, with an open mouth, which kind of sucks in uh, both animals as well as other vegetation. And of course, the problem of the orangutans is something that uh, you do speak about, saying how palm oil plantations are taking, uh, uh, you know, their natural habitat away. So uh, the orangutan, the um, this plant species, and of course, the bears, I'd like to comment on that. Eden is filled with, with, with characters that you just can't help fall in love with. The sun bear is one of them. He's the smallest bear on, on the planet. And um, he has a particular problem in Borneo, which is you think of rainforests as, as full of life and, and therefore lots to eat. But actually, it's, it's all sort of based on, on, a, on a myth. Rainforests are very low in nutrients. So it's a constant battle for, 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 for animals that live there to, to get enough food. And that's why the, boar, uh, the, the sun bear over time has shrunk down to become the smallest bear uh, on earth. But it still needs to eat. And, and like all bears, one thing it loves is honey. And, and so there's one advantage, though, of course, to being small, and that is you, you, you're light enough to climb. And uh, locally, uh, the sun bear is known as the monkey bear because it's such a brilliant climber. 
And so we, we filmed it scaling these huge trees uh, and to tap into to, um, a beehive. But also what's, what was so endearing about this bear is that after it's had its fill of honey, it then makes a bed up in the tree, a tree house, makes a bed and, and goes and, and it has an afternoon snooze. So, so yes, we, we, we love, we love the, the monkey bear. Borneo is home to over 60,000 species. Uh, and so it's one, it is possibly the most biodiverse island of all. And um, a huge amount of that diversity is thanks to it, its plant life, including pitcher plants. It, it has the greatest collection of pitcher plants. Pitcher plants have a cool pitcher because they've got this sort of huge uh, um, pitcher receptacle where it stores digestive juices. And, and it's, I think it's sort of, it makes us rethink about the sort of the ingenuity of plants. We think of plants as sort of inanimate, unsentient beings, but over time they have evolved sophisticated strategies to uh, um, find enough nutrients in the forest, including producing scents that lure in insects onto the, in, uh, and, and as a, the, the, the insects crawl onto its uh, um, great pitcher, they slip on its waxy cuticle into this cauldron receptacle filled with digestive juices. So, so these pitch plants can then suck out their nutrients. Uh, um, they even manipulate mammals like, like, like tree shrews that um, are, are lured in by the nectar. Uh, um, and as they're take, taking a, a drink of nectar, they poop into the receptacle. But that poop actually fertilizes uh, um, the, the, the pitcher. So it's wonderful how a plant counterintuitively manipulates even a mammal uh, uh, to help survive in this nutrient-poor forest. So we, we, we are super proud of, of the Borneo story in, in, in that it has so many surprising characters. I think that the, the, the groundbreaking piece of behaviour it, is when uh, uh, we, we follow a pair of, of hornbills. These hornbills are real characters, they, and, and you, you have them in India as well, uh, um, different species, but um, they, they, they form partnerships for life. And we tell the story of, well, how do these fruit-eating uh, um, hornbills find enough food to sustain them in, in, in the forest? And the answer is that every evening they, they fly to the entrance of a, of a forest cave. And as, as uh, at dusk, uh, uh, and at dusk, thousands of, of bats emerge. And these, the, these, uh, um, these hornbills can snatch them out of the air. It, it, I mean, again, who would have thought that birds, uh, uh, like a, a hornbill with this huge, huge uh, uh, beak designed to, to really to, un, to, to pluck fruit, can actually capture birds yeah and in that aspect i think uh, it's wonderful that the long longwa valley still remains an eden because half the year there are floods so you and me human beings can't reach there for half the year just as good and the endemic species there is a giraffe if i'm not mistaken it's called the thorny craft giraffe and uh, i imagine that the series has, has covered that uh, giraffe and any other wildebeest uh, uh, that you've covered i'd like you to talk about the longwa valley Luangwa Valley is a very special habitat in, 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 in East Africa. I think the audiences are more familiar with the Masai Mara and the Serengeti, uh, uh, and that's usually the go-to place to film uh, um, stories on, on, on the African grasslands. But we, we wanted to find a newer story, a, a fresher, with, with, with new characters. And so we, we homed in on the Luangwa River Valley, which is unique. And... and 
the secret to success and why it's still pristine is thanks to the annual flooding of, of, of the, the Lawanga River. And, and what that's um, over time it does two things. One, the, the flooding of the river uh, um, fertilizes the grasslands so that they're incredibly rich and fertile. But secondly, they kept human uh, ag agriculture and development at bay because you, you, you can't, as, as you can imagine, settle uh, on a, uh, in an area that's flooded for half a year. So, so it, it's, that's what's protected this, this unique Eden. And we filmed groundbreaking stories, uh, um, including a really endearing story about um, the African black rhino, the very, very rare uh, Lawangwe is one of the last strongholds for, for, for the black rhino. And uh, we always think about rhino as being uh, um, half blind, grumpy, feisty. And that's not to say they're not a bit feisty. And if you have a chance to look at the, um, our behind the scenes making of, you'll see how the crew, whilst trying to film, uh, uh, follow uh, Kanga, the, 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 the male, uh, were, were, had to had to were chased by him and had to run up the trees to escape him on several occasions. But we show the other side to his nature, uh, um, which is incredibly tender as he's uh, trying to to find a, a, a mate, uh, which he does by 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 smelling uh, by pheromones that she releases when she's receptive. But also when they do their meet, uh, um, they, they emit these surprisingly high-pitched squeaks uh, and they're, they're incredibly kind of tender. So you just wouldn't expect that from this huge brute, that these tender squeaks as he caught as he caught some. Uh, we, so we've um, we, we filmed the hippos at night in, in the Luanga River Valley. Um, we, it was the world first uh, um, as they... As, as, as during the day they, they're confined to, to the to the river water because they, they need to keep cool outside the water they, they they will quickly perish from sunburn and overheat and heat exhaustion uh, um, in, in, under the midday sun but at night when it's a bit cooler they can emerge to feed and they feed on uh, on grass and fruits uh, uh, seeds and so we follow them with, with someone doing cameras um, at night as, as they forage uh, uh, in groundbreaking new behaviours. So we're particularly excited about that film. Uh, we also follow the trials and tribulations of, of a mother leopard. She had a, a leopard, uh, uh, um, her ability to catch gazelle, another impala, it's, it's always such a knife edge between predator and prey. And so she has to eke out every advantage to get uh, a success when it comes to predation. And, and that's one thing about leopards. They may be solitary hunters, but they're incredibly cunning. And so you, at any given time, she uses the lay of the, the, the land and, and the different conditions to her advantage. In this case, at the beginning of the dry, as river gullies uh, are dry out, she will then um, creep down the gullies. And that enables her just to get a little bit closer to the impala that then graze on, on, on the grass just above. And so we film this heart-in-the-mouth moment as she rushes out and grabs an impala. So, and, and lots of cheeky baboon uh, sequences as well. Baboons are incredibly adaptable. In, at the height of the flood, there's one thing they prize more than anything, which is the lotus uh, um, flower, highly nutritious. But in order to get it, they've got to strain into the water and, uh, and in the process avoid getting caught by, by the, the crocodiles. So, uh, so we capture that moment of tension as, as a crocodile tries to, tries to grab one. In the Namibdes desert, there's the camel thorn, a tree. Again, 
I imagine that you've you've covered that, and also how even a species like the antelope manages to keep themselves suitably chilled, even though there are temperatures of forty to fifty degrees Celsius. Yeah, I mean the Narmib is is an extraordinary tell of survival. Again, thanks to its extreme temperatures and remoteness, it's kept human habitation at, at bay largely. Uh, um, although today it does have environmental stresses, but this is really a celebration of how life has overcome the extremes to 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 become the 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 most diverse desert of of all. And uh, in the Namib, you have all the giants you just wouldn't expect to, to, to find in a desert, like oryx, these incredibly, uh, uh, incredibly extreme antelope that, that have special adaptations that allow them to, to shed heat and survive on, on the scant vegetation. We have, uh, you know, it, it's home to, to ostrich that may not drink uh, uh, for a year. Uh, and, and we film a very funny sequence of a young ostrich uh, at the one time when the females do come receptive, just before the rains, trying to, to woo a female, but he doesn't unfortunately have the the the, the dance skills uh, um, to, to win her over, unlike unlike the the, the older, wiser male. We it features um, giraffe, uh, and again, you wouldn't expect to find a giraffe in the middle of a desert, but. Thanks to the Nama's secret water sources, one of which is this sea mist. There's, there's enough sea mist every day that condenses on, on, on the, 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 the tree leaves and vegetation that enables uh, um, these desert giraffes to, to exist. And, and because they exist, in turn, they, they uh, enable, along with the oryx, uh, and desert lions to, to, to thrive in a desert. In Patagonia, you did talk about the pumas, but I believe there's a breed, a species of dolphins that are extraordinarily friendly there. We we um, we we didn't actually feature uh, uh, the dolphins. So I'm going to have to take your word for that. Uh, um, but what we did film was um, elephant seals. Elephant seals are the largest seals of of all, uh, and um, they um, uh, exist in these incredibly rich fjordland systems uh, um, and in, in a really kind of unusual sitting you, you may be familiar with elephant seals on the beaches of antarctica but here we have them sheltering in the forest because actually for them it can get a bit hot but we do we do film at a moment when the young males are, are fighting in a, in a kind of dramatic showdown wonderful we've got a beautiful lowdown here from Mark Brownlow, executive producer, BBC Studio, the Natural History Unit. I urge all of you to go watch Eden, Untamed Planet on Sony BBC Earth. 17th of January is when it premieres in India, Monday to Friday, 9 p.m. Indian Standard Time. My last question is, is always, I mean, all these years with the NHU, you know, you've been involved with some cult series. In fact, even before this, you were known as, uh, as the man who's brought Tiny Giants, Hidden Kingdoms, Blue Planet, most importantly, uh, to the world at large. There is a stream of thought that says there are these Edens. Uh, is the BBC Natural History Unit doing going there and doing minimal damage to the environment? You mentioned at the top, the carbon footprint is kept low. But how do you ensure that you go in, in pockets of small people, do what you have to do and leaving the, envi the environment unspoiled? We uphold the BBC Natural History Unit has has endured thanks to uh, um, our enduring policy of absolute respect for your subject and um, 
making sure that when you go and film something, uh, um, you, you don't disturb the wildlife and you don't just you, you don't damage the ecosystem. You're there to document the last remnants and strongholds of, of the natural world, and and you have to do so uh, uh, with respect. So um, we research. Uh, um, to the nth, uh, um, all our stories, and make sure we always work with local experts who uh, know know either the, the 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 animal that we want to film or the habitat, and we follow their guidance. We try and work with um, local crews as much as we can to lower our carbon footprint. But absolutely, we we um, we have to uphold the, the, the strictest values, never to disturb the ecosystem or, 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 or the animals and just document what we see. I, I, Eden is a celebration of our, our last pockets of natural world. And, and, and it's to remind the audience of how precious uh, um, the natural world is, and how, but, but also how wonderful it is and, and how we have to hold onto it for all our sanity. Wonderful. Mark, thanks for your time. Uh, you've been very generous with your time and very patient. And all the best uh, to you and uh, the Natural History Unit for everything that you do in the future. Stay safe and healthy. Cheers. Real pleasure. Thanks, Rishi.